her head on the pavement edge, decorated with a breathtaking splurge of blood. Carp braked, wobbling, a wrenched backward glance. But she's hurt. Stinky said with low-voiced triumph, You can't hurt that old cow. She's always falling over. She just gets up again and... While he was speaking, Carp was skittering backwards on his rally, stopping, looking down. Stinky, she's bleeding. And there it began, that golden afternoon, on a headlong impulse. But who was to say, without some hidden malign intent, that set the route to the destruction of inoffensive lives? Darlings, Floy Mannering's sweet voice, you do this so beautifully. This was not just the tea. China set out exquisitely on a handmade lace cloth, cucumber sandwiches and smoked salmon rolls, scones and cream and strawberries. It was Daisy herself, in her caressing afternoon frock, unhurried, wryly amused, and Clive, in his blazer and crisp flannels. Floy had a way of suggesting that Daisy was responsible for him, but she was not. He had presented himself, as Daisy had, out of love for Floy, her generosity and kindness, her care for their feelings. And Floy. The passing years defined her narrow elegance, added repose to her delicate face, and a fugitive youthfulness to her smile. Floy's friends, the Prendergasts, were coming on one of their ceremonial visits. Tea and gossip. Whist. More gossip. And then, a sherry to see you on your way? In Floy's stylish house, friends and neighbours slipped sympathetically into place. If they were eccentric period pieces, there were so many of them they went unnoticed. Clive once said to Daisy, Do you think they're all steadily getting more bonkers, or are we just imagining it? The whole of Bankhill is bonkers. Well, the older residents... They accept almost anything. The afternoon visit over, the Prendergasts ushered gently on their straight-backed retreat, Daisy went into the dining-room to clear the remains of the tea, looked out of the window at the figure marching round the curve of the drive, round the tall conifers that shielded the road from view. She moaned, Oh, no, and dashed into the hall. She found Clive, seized him for a frantically muted consultation. He said, oh, "'Can't we get rid of her?' "'How? She just barges in the minute the door's opened.' "'Could I interpose my body?' "'Not if you value your jangly bits. She'd knee you as soon as look at you. Do you honestly want—have you ever taken on Grendel's mother?' "'Darlings, what is it?' Floy emerged from the downstairs cloakroom. Daisy paused, caught out, said helplessly, um, Edward's Auntie Brenda. Ah. For a moment, Floy looked cornered, then resigned. It really is naughty of you to call her after a monster in a Norse epic. Beowulf, isn't it? Although you happen to be right. The doorbell shrilled. The three stood quite still, looking at one another. Floy said philosophically, Oh, well. Perhaps you'll have a brainwave how to get rid of her.
Don't hesitate, will you? She turned away to the lounge hall on the, to Daisy, glorious assumption that the momentum of the dependable every day would carry matters forward, that either Daisy or Clive would open the door, murmur obligatory greetings, show the visitor in. Daisy's mother, now living in Portugal, was Floy's best friend, although she was many years younger. Daisy had had a lifetime of testing the fine filaments of which Floy Mannering was made, knew the elegance and gentleness. Our situation within hailing distance of havoc could be contained, subdued. Let them eat cake. That was just about it. That was what happened between one ring of the doorbell and the next. Floy limped across the hall, Clive disappeared upstairs, and Daisy coped. Opened the door. I say you've had